Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people in the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Gary Mitchell, a member of the Wisconsin Alliance for Retired Americans. This is a special Pledge Week edition of Labor Radio. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Please call us at 608-256-2001, extension 1, or visit wortfm.org. Hi, I'm Anna Ham, and while I've worked in management I'm and never been a mem- member of a union, I'm so pro-labor, I thought about having a baby just so I could go into it. This week, we learn about the Minneapolis public school strike, explore the employee handbook process for public sector workers, take a look at the Major League Baseball settlement, and share this week's COVID report, plus much more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining member of WORT and Labor Radio. Minneapolis public school teachers let us know what their current strike is all about. Dr. Marcia Wyatt, a second grade Minneapolis public school teacher and a joint executive board member for the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers Local 59 Union, shares what is going on with the teacher and support staff strike that began on March 8th in Minneapolis. Teachers and educational support professionals have made a united decision to stand for our students, to stand for one another. We are asking for safe and stable schools. We're asking for more mental health supports. We're asking that our ESPs make a living wage. Currently it's 24,000 to start. We're asking it to go to 35,000. And we just wanna be treated with respect. Minneapolis Public Schools licensed teacher and parent educator Susan Colvin adds, Our top bargaining priorities are a living wage for educational support professionals, recruitment and retention of educators of color, so our teachers look like our students, increasing staff for mental health teams at every school, class size limits to guarantee individual student attention, and competitive compensation for teachers and other licensed staff. How did Minneapolis public school teachers get to where they are today? Our bargaining team has been working with the district for over a year. Teachers have not had a raise in 20 years. And our ESPs who are continuing to work anywhere from three or four additional jobs on top of their ESP job. And now because of a pandemic, What we're still dealing with, with George Floyd, we've had Dante Wright, we've had Amir Locke, and then just recently one of our North High School scholars was murdered. Um, So just dealing with all of that and the things that are going in our community has just brought us to this place that we need to do what's best for our students, and we feel this is what's best. Currently, many of our schools don't have social workers or counselors or possibly even have a nurse part-time. We also don't have the support staff, our special ed educational assistants, 
So a lot of times teachers are left with 20 plus children and need help and aids in the classroom and they don't have that. And it's not safe for the students. And also with our crisis in mental health currently, as we work through this pandemic, we need more support for our children for mental health. How long has this been going on? Basically 20 years. Minneapolis has been going with the status quo, not giving the support that's needed in the classroom. And it's time for a change. What unions are participating? We have joined together the teacher chapter of MFT, as well as our ESP. We are fighting together. We have had support from St. Paul's unit. They just recently settled. Other local unions have been providing support and encouragement as we go through this process. Our wonderful friends across the river in St. Paul figured it out. They are raising 56% higher on, you know, mental health, on counselors and social workers rising up. And so it can be done. You can juggle around and figure it out. What do you want community members and parents and people to know? We're not out because we just want to be out. We're out because we want to do what's best for the children that they send to us every day. Our students deserve better than what they are currently receiving. And it's a fight that we're going to fight and we're not going to back down until we are heard. That was Dr. Marsha Wyatt and Susan Colvin of Minneapolis Public Schools. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio. Eleven years ago, Scott Walker tried to destroy public sector bargaining in Wisconsin. AFSCME, the American Federation Mm -hmm. of State, County, and Municipal Workers, fought back and has found ways to continue to represent public sector workers. AFSCME is fighting for the wages, hours, and working conditions of workers in the public sector, much as they did 12 years ago before Act 10. Act 10 restricted the rights of public sector workers and their unions in many ways, including the limiting of the ability to negotiate a financial package in excess of the cost of living, the ability to collect dues through a dues checkoff procedure, and various types of binding arbitration. However, AFSCME never left the workplace and has found ways to fight back, especially at the city and county levels. Labor Radio spoke with Neil Rainford, field staff organized with AFSCME Council 32. We asked him, how has AFSCME gone about preserving worker rights in the workplace? Right, so in the wake of Act 10, which by and large uh, eliminated the public sector uh, collective bargaining rights for both municipal and state employees in Wisconsin outside of the public safety employees, we have developed a, a system that we call the association model or the association system of representation. And it includes voluntary recognition by the employer that there is an association of employees that exists for the purpose of speaking uh, to the employer with regard to wages, hours, and working conditions. While the exact form varies from place to place, AFSCME has succeeded in getting the highest legislative body in these localities to write a procedure for recognition and the requirement to meet and confer into their local ordinances. Once the procedure of recognition has been accepted, then the parties decide the actual rules regulating wages, hours, and working conditions. These are called handbook. Ranford explains. So the 
the rules regarding the uh, existence of the employees associations and their rights to communicate are typically separate from the documents uh, that exist in those same places that we call the handbook. The handbooks are uh, more like the documents that are the the detail all the wages, hours, and working conditions of the employees. Really everything that one would find in a collective bargaining agreement before Act 10 tends to be found in a handbook uh, after Act 10. Why did employers agree to this system? You know, what we found is that employers really preferred to uh, keep a clear understanding with their employees as to what the wages, hours, and working conditions are. And so they needed to move uh, everything that was in a collective bargaining agreement and became outlawed after Act 10 from being contained in a collective bargaining agreement to another document. And that's generally called the handbook. The system is voluntary. Employers do not have to recognize the associations for the purpose of a meeting and conferring. But once the city passes an ordinance recognizing the process, both parties are expected to follow the law. But the acceptance of the process requires political mobilization. When asked if the process was dependent on the election of open-minded and pro-collective bargaining people, Rainford replied, Yeah, it absolutely does. Labor in most communities has always had a close eye on on the political situation in, in the community, and that is uh, even more important where employees work for an organization where the chief decision makers are elected officials. We believe that is really a, uh, a product of a healthy democracy and one in which employees uh, have a, a positive role in making sure that those elected officials understand the details of, of how to best provide those services. That was Neil Rainford of AFSME explaining the association and handbook process that has replaced collective bargaining after Act 10. As we move into an economy with high inflation, the ability of this system to meet the needs of the community and the public sector employees will be put to the test. I am Frank Emsbach reporting for Madison Labor Radio. Now we have a special guest, our associate producer, assistant producer, Chief Cook and Bottle Washer, Ellen LaLuzerne is joining us by phone. Can you hear me? Wherever Ellen is. Ellen, where are you? Uh, Speak. Am I I here? We can hear you, Ellen. Okay, cool. So, hi everyone, and I wish I could be there with you, but I would like all of the listeners to be there with us by contributing to the show at 608-256-2001 or go to the webpage and click on the donate button and we would really appreciate any kind of contribution you might want to give because this show really is vitally important to bringing news about working people to the Madison area and surrounding communities. If you think about the story, two stories you just heard, teachers striking in the um, many in Minnesota, not many people are probably hearing about that at all and some of those are the same issues that folks in our state are facing day after day. And then the Act 10 story that you just heard really reminds us that, no, people are still trying to advocate for, you, you, no, the unions haven't gone away. Unions are still advocating for their membership and people on the rank and file of the um, at the workplace. And so keeping that information and that news out there for everyone is really vitally important. And again, the number is 608-256-2001. And if I can call in, you all can call in, so 608-256-2001.
We have some people to thank, but before that, Anna, one of our readers, has something to say. Hi there. Yeah, I'd like to thank all of our listeners, because without you, WRT, well, would be kind of meaningless. And so I wanted to, in addition to my Evergreen um, membership, I wanted to make a special contribution uh, in honor or pay it to pay it forward for listeners out there, and I know there are for every show, who don't have the wherewithal to make that contribution. Maybe they're facing medical bills. Maybe they're housing in, facing housing insecurity, financial difficulties, but they don't have that wiggle room. And in respect to all of those listeners who want to support WORT and are supporting just by being a member of the community, I am making an additional contribution over and above my evergreen uh payment, and I'm happy to do so. I invite other listeners to uh, join me with that. Well, thanks, Anna. Let's thank some other people. Well, we want to thank Mike, but uh, his last name will be anonymous. Uh, We'd like to thank Gil. We'd like to thank David. We'd like to thank Keith. We'd like to thank Harry. And uh, and we would like to b- thank Diane and Gil, who are taking your phone calls. And there you go. So 256-2001, extension 1. Uh, you've heard enough from us, and now we'll go back to the news. Oh, but we should remind you, the number 256-2001, and on the intertubes, you can pledge safely and securely at wortfm.org. The union representing professional baseball players ratified a new collective bargaining agreement this week, bringing to an end a 99-day lockout. We'll hear more about the resolution to the contract dispute. The Major League Baseball Players Association and team ownership have come to an agreement on a new labor contract, ending an owner-initiated lockout that has been in place since December 2nd. The lockout started as the result of a breakdown in negotiations between team owners and the MLBPA. Disagreements over terms centered around minimum salaries, service time calculations, postseason structure, and adjustments to taxes on team payrolls, with team ownership refusing to bargain for over a month when their demands were not met. An announcement made last Tuesday that the league's opening day had been canceled in response to the stalemate brought both sides quickly back to the table. Ownership presented an offer yesterday afternoon, with the MLBPA voting to ratify the agreement last night. The director of the MLBPA said in a statement that persevering through the lockout brought needed improvements to the players in the sport. Quote, our union endured the second longest work stoppage in its history to achieve significant progress in key areas that will improve not just current players' rights and benefits, but those of generations to come. Players remained engaged and unified from the beginning to end, and in the process re-energized our fraternity, end quote. The final tally was 26 yes votes to 12 no votes, six votes above the requisite 20 vote simple majority threshold needed to approve the agreement. Within the overall tally, all eight of the union's executive subcommittee members voted against the agreement. Opening day for the league has been rescheduled to take place on April 7th, according to league officials. This is Sean Hagerup reporting for Madison Labor Radio. The Wisconsin Poor People's Campaign is organizing a mass demonstration in Washington, D.C. in June to demand that actions be taken to alleviate poverty. On March 28th, the campaign will bring people to Madison as part of this mobilization. The Wisconsin Poor People's Campaign is part of a national organization 
first founded by Martin Luther King and the SCLC in 1965. Labor Radio's Keith Steffen interviewed Brittany Reimer, tri-chair of the Wisconsin Poor People's Campaign, earlier this week. What is the Wisconsin Poor People's Campaign? The, the Poor People's Campaign is a moral fusion movement. We unite and organize across lines of division to bring everybody together to end poverty. The campaign estimates there are 140 million poor and low-income people in the United States. As a build-up to the June 18th maths demo in D.C., the campaign is conducting the Moore Tour throughout the country. Brittany explains. The Moore Tour is consists of 10 stops across the country. Wisconsin is one of those stops. And it's leading up to this mass poor peoples and low-wage workers assembly and moral march on Washington on June 18th. Um, so we'll be having a mass gathering in D.C. on June 18th. And this tour is a, a build-up to that. And what does the MORE, M-O-R-E, stand for? MORE is mobilize, organize, register, and educate. Brittany described the focus and activities of the Poor People's Campaign. A lot of what we do is we really focus on the interlocking injustice and how we all might have different struggles. They all might look a little bit different, but they are all intertwined with each other. Poverty, racism, ecological devastation, militarism, denial of health care. Oh, the big one is the false moral narrative in the country as well. The Madison Gathering will be at the top of State Street at 4.30 p.m., and the march begins at 5 p.m. on Friday, March 24th. A lot of what the program is going to look like is testifiers impacted, directly impacted people from our state and telling their stories to, to everyone. We absolutely need everybody to get involved. Um, we need a huge turnout for this. Everybody needs to be there and, and use their voices and make their voices heard. Listeners can learn more about the Poor People's Campaign by going to the national website at poorpeoplescampaign.org. That was Keith Steffen interviewing Brittany Reimer of the Wisconsin Poor People's Campaign. I am Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. Ben says, behold the world in space, be fire. Right in her Gerber space, been her Gering says, they'll never bomb this place. Be hail, hail, right in her Gering space. Are we not the Superman? Aryan pure Superman. Yeah, we is the Superman. Super duper Superman. All right, we're going to pledge drive after this. I have this uplifting song that uh, we wanted to hear, 256-2001. It, it seemed appropriate one. to the situation in Europe right now. Uh, appropriate to the situation in Europe. Well, we don't want the situation in Europe to be the situation here. And uh, so we'd like people to call in, support Labor Radio. Our show is here and it's designed for working people here in South Central Wisconsin to be a voice for other working people in our state. People here, you know, this station is represented by IBW Local 2304. So we're all in the same boat here. 256 2001 WORTFM.org. And we have Gil and Diane waiting to take your calls at 256 2001 Extension 1. 
Uh, we've had a number of pledges so far. We want to keep them coming. Um, the amount is not so important as just the number. We'd like to receive some new donors today. Uh, we love our old donors, and, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. You can also look at the website, wortfm.org, and see the thank you gifts and hit the donate button, and you don't even have to talk to a human being if you'd like to avoid it. And speaking of pledges, we have had a uh, person pledge online, Robin called. And uh, did a donation in honor of John Wagnitz. 2562001 is the number. Um, also, you can pledge online at wrtfm.org. Hi there. Uh, well, we were just distracted. It came in directly to one of the many, many cell phones here. We thought it was going to be a pledge from a millionaire to support WRT and Labor Radio, but alas, it was not. 256 2001. We need to hear from you. We'd like a couple of people to say five bucks a month, ten bucks a month on a regular basis. And if you do that, you get this beautiful retro airline bag for those of you who are going to travel sometime soon. 256 2001 extension one. And we have some uh, smaller uh, thank you gifts that we would show you the uh, our appreciation to you. And I know that. Um, People who listen to WORT's Labor Radio hear the only one of the few, labor, I don't know if there are any other labor radio programs in the country. In the country, yes, but not in Wisconsin. But not in Wisconsin. The only labor radio program in Wisconsin. So we cover the working people's issues uh, from the organized to the unorganized to just plain the disorganized. old. Yeah, to the disorganized. To the disorganized. But you know, because we have the podcast, because we're on the archive, because we distribute many, many ways our show goes way beyond just a listening audience, and it's designed so that if a local union is featured on our show, we do four or five stories a day or each Friday, we send that story out for their own use so we can build our movement. Our goal is to have more people involved in doing something, and the way you do that is help us out, help yourself out. 256-2001. And if you subscribe to podcasts, you can listen to Labor Radio every week. That's on your right. own time, whenever you feel like it. 256-2001 is the number. We do need you to join all the people who have pledged already. We had a bit of a busy time at the beginning of the program, but now things have slowed yes, down. We need three more of press. you to call and pledge in the next six minutes. 256-2001. We're going to go back to the news. The United States Postal Service returns to celibacy in this report from Washington. On Tuesday, in a 79-19 to 19 vote, the Senate passed the Postal Service Reform Act of 2022. The bill previously passed in the House of Representatives February 8th. The bill will now go to President Biden for his signature to become law. According to the National Association of Letter Carriers, or NALC, provisions of this bipartisan legislation accomplish several important changes to the Postal Service. First, it repeals the mandate to pre-fund retiree health care benefits decades in advance. It also codifies a minimum of six days delivery of mail and packages into federal law. This will eliminate the need to renew the six-day requirement every year through the congressional appropriations process. The bill also maximizes the integration of future postal retirees into Medicare. NALC President Frederick Rolando said, This is a monumental victory for letter carriers and all Americans who depend on the Postal Service for affordable and high-quality universal service. 
The bill also imposes new transparency standards for the agency with regular reports to the Postal Service on its financial status and delivery data. This is Carol Weidel reporting for Labor Radio. Ride-sharing companies and the International Brotherhood of Teamsters have both endorsed a new bill in Washington state that would regulate the rights and benefits of drivers. We'll hear more about the contents of the bill. A bill that would codify the rights and benefits of rideshare drivers and other gig workers has made headway in the Washington state legislature over the past month. Currently, the bill has passed the state's House and has reached the Senate for further consideration. Included among the bill's sponsors are ride-sharing companies themselves, as well as Teamsters Local 117 and its affiliate, Drivers Union. Bills with similar language have received the interest of state lawmakers across the country over the past year. For example, similar regulatory bills have also been introduced in Massachusetts and New York, though Washington's has thus far made it the farthest. Initiatives like the one in Washington do expand the rights and benefits of drivers including increased pay, an improved appeal system for deactivated drivers, and an expanded workers' compensation system. However, it notably maintains the workers' status as independent contractors, rather than reclassifying them as full or part-time employees. A further item that critics of the bill point to is that expanded workers' comp would only be in effect when a driver is on the way to pick up a passenger or actually has a passenger in the car. The legislation describes these activities as dispatch platform time and passenger platform time, respectively. This would leave workers vulnerable if they get injured between fares while they are roving and awaiting a new trip request. Although touting the bill as a reasonable compromise between sides, rideshare and gig logistics companies have gestured towards the threat that if they don't get a legislative compromise, they will pursue a ballot initiative in Washington akin to Prop 22 in California. Lyft has put $2 million into a newly formed political action committee called the Washington Coalition for Independent Work, with clones in New York, Illinois, and Massachusetts. It also has the backing of Instacart, DoorDash, and Uber, which have committed to contribute to the pack. This is Sean Hager reporting for Madison Labor Radio. Well, we have a couple of people to thank, or at least one person to thank. We'd like to thank Victoria for her generous pledge and urge people to call 608-256-2001. Carol? Extension 1. Extension 1. Carol is reminding me. Extension 1. Extension 1. Carol? Um, thanks a lot. Uh, we, we've had a lot of broad, I mean, hell, we have a nice little pile here. This is so great. Yeah. Uh, thank you all. Um you're showing us the love, and uh, keep on listening. Please subscribe to the Labor Radio podcast. You can hear it all the time. You can take it home, listen to any place you want. You don't have to watch it on TV, particularly when you're driving. 256-2001, extension 1. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Gary Mitchell. Thanks to editors Frank Emsbach and Ellen Lalazern, assistant Robin G., Reporters Greg Gabowski, Sean Hagerup, Janine Ramsey, Carol Weidel, and Damage Control Specialist Joanne Powers. Thank you as well to website editor J.J. Meyer. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, and to all of our readers and the members of the IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. 
And I'm Anna Ham. We also like to thank all of the generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Now it's the weekend. Stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts. And you can pledge to his show, too. 608-256-2001 or at wrtfm.org.